welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not, uh, well, frankly, thinking about riding and running right now, I'm probably writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about all different types of movement, and we talk to the people that do all different types of movement. So, Peter, what's shaking? Well, we're at Consummate Athlete HQ. Very excited. We about have that. a neon sign, which Molly will release to the public, I'm sure, in some dramatic fashion. Definitely. Soon enough. Yeah, it's coming. We need like shades of gray, apparently, behind the neon sign before it can be presented. Well, that's that could be a while. I don't know. Okay, but we are back home, which is both good and bad. We've been longing to be in our apartment, and with the state of the world right now, we are locked in said apartment for at least another week if all goes well. So what have you been doing in quarantine, Peter? Well, the Collingwood community has been very helpful. I've had three sets of rollers presented to me, and I've uh, bust, Broken two busted two. So apologies to Jody. I haven't even told him yet. Uh, that well, he's he, going to hear it here first, folks. Well, I'm looking into getting another. If anyone has a line on Tax or uh, what is the other brand? Uh, Saris, like Cyclops roller uh, belts, uh, I'll buy a bunch because I owe people a few. But uh, yeah, so I've been doing some rollers and... We've been doing some strength, and we got the pull-up bar up again. So back on the, I haven't done pull-ups since we left about three months ago. So I I blame my dear friend Kristen, who instituted the "Who can get to ten pull-ups first challenge, which inevitably meant that I was going to kill myself to get to ten pull-ups yep. immediately. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's all all pretty dire right now. But I think you know the fun thing is the you know how are people moving past this or moving through this? I guess is I don't know if we're past it, but through it. Uh, with the state of the world right now so yeah some good pull-up challenges seem to be coming out of this and push-ups and uh, burpees someone brought out uh, oh boy good friend here locally who I used to coach she really always liked my Christmas burpee challenge where we did 50 burpees for time on Christmas morning which was a little torturous but uh, yeah so she brought that back so we'll see if I muster the energy to do my own this week yeah, I mean, honestly, I have to say, like, I've been so blown away by the the community, not just, you know, our friends here in Collingwood have been amazing dropping stuff off for us and helping with grocery delivery and everything as we're, you know, trying to really observe the quarantine protocol and, you know, be really, you know, cautious around that. So we've had a lot of people dropping stuff off and even people we don't really know super well, but know us, you know, in the community have just been absolutely amazing. I, I feel like I've been on and off in tears pretty much all week. I, I won't cry again on the podcast, but uh, just, you know, everyone that's helped out, thank you so much. Yeah, so I thought this week, you know, we had a few podcasts all set up. You know, we we're excited for gravel season. We're excited for... Uh, Mountain bike stage racing. Yeah, so some of these things that maybe we'll put on the back burner for a little while. But we had one uh, with an archer, someone who does archery. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the podcast. It was sort of back to, you know, the 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 roots of our podcast of this whole movement, if I, w- if I can be so bold, uh, of the consummate athlete, where we're looking at different types of sports and movements and activities we can do to sort of thrive in different times, even on certain times, perhaps, right? And so I thought that this episode was maybe well-timed, as well-timed as anything can be, uh, in terms of just thinking about maybe not archery, but maybe darts, maybe, you know, some sort of target thing, you know, some sort of other movement that maybe doesn't require space or, or moving around in the world as much. I think archery requires a fair bit of space. Don't try this in your basement, folks. Well, actually, we talk. Like, this is why I got excited about this podcast when we did it, because uh, we have Mackenzie Kybors on today, who's uh, been in line. She's been competing, you know, sort of at a university level. She's gone to the Universiade. Uh, which is sort of a international competition like the Olympics, major games, um, and competed at that level. She's done a lot of coaching. She's done a lot of different programming around like, um, you know, even setting up large uh, competitions. So she herself is a great consummate athlete. She has a lot going on as far as coaching, event organization, and competing at a high level. So she's an athlete after my own heart in that respect. But she talks a lot about the different types of archery. So there's lots of different options. Um, to look at there's also one that's called field archery that got me really excited which is basically like walking it's it's like frisbee golf i tried to make this analogy i don't know if she agreed completely but you walk around in like a field sort of setting and you're shooting at targets that could be different sizes or at different you know it's it's like golf really right like different distances to the hole so to speak to the the target and then the actual target can be 
varying sizes too. So it sounded like an amazing discipline and it got me really excited about that. Um, but she herself, I just want to, why she's so, so she's competed in two different disciplines. Um, but she also has, has switched handedness as well. So we get into that. So that's also oh, something that's like your favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I always like the, the pitchers who are ambidextrous and switch hitting and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so she actually switched which hand she was, but she's at such an elite level, which is also impressive that she's been able to get, you know, back up and build that up. So we talk about that and that, that switch over, but to your point about the, uh, small spaces, she actually also tells us about training in her, their spare bedroom. And she just has a target and she, you can just shoot like these, I, I don't recall the name of them. I were going to call them dummy arrows, but you basically shoot at like a hay bale in a room. Right. So maybe not everyone has this space and capacity and interest in training, but there are ways to do a lot of these things, right? For cyclists, we have our indoor trainer. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to throw things and, and do things inside where it's sort of more controlled, right? Like it's an element of the sport. So she's actually talking about drawing the bowstring back and it's actually just the draw a lot of times that they're practicing. Well, and frankly, for the homebound people, maybe maybe shooting something at a wall that you've designated for shooting is probably better than when we get to the point where we're starting to... Well, a, a previous tenants we had in here actually had a dartboard on one wall. I know, I was just wall. thinking, yeah. I'm like kicking myself for not being like, leave the dartboard. <laughs> I remember they were like, yeah, so, sorry. And I was like, okay, okay, well. Um, I'm trying to think there was one other thing. Oh, so she actually mentioned the other thing that I really liked in this episode was she talked about in some countries that are really dominant in the sport, the first couple years, years of the sport, you don't actually get to shoot. You just keep drawing back, like basically an elastic that simulates the, the drawing of the bow. I'm really surprised you haven't actually like already set up one of our elastic bands to do that and started to practice. Well, I was, I keep trying to think of things in cycling. It's like, you cannot ride your bicycle. You must do like step ups. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like alternating step ups for three years or something. Right. It should be noted that Peter is really excited about this episode because he harbors like a secret fantasy of being like Katniss and the hunger games. So I mean, every young man does, I guess, but I don't think that's every (laughs) young man's dream. In any case, uh, hopefully there's some, you know, some relief, some ideas, you know, whatever the sport, but uh, thinking, you know, again, towards all the different movements and things we can be playing around with uh, in our lives, right? And again, so we can be adaptable, whatever, whatever life throws at us. So I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you next week. How does someone get into archery? You know, it it strikes me as something that I did at, at, you know, camp growing up or something, but, you know, as maybe harder to get into as you know versus soccer or or football or something like that right archery is definitely not as visible i think as as those sports um but i got into archery through hunting with my dad when i was younger um and i think a few people get in that way but really like if someone was interested in starting i would say find a local bow shop um because they're going to have professionals who can help fit you these bows are pretty specific. There are like recurve is really easy to kind of get started on a bow. Um, if, which is the Olympic style. If someone's interested in compound, it's kind of more uh, person specific, I guess. Um, so starting there, but then there, each state should have, um, organizations. And then those usually like the tournaments for those are, are usually out of bow shops. There's not often, um, you have a range that's independent of, of a pro shop or a bow shop. Um, so kind of finding that there's also youth programs across the country. So the junior Olympic archery development or JOAD, um, is a great resource for youth and they clubs are like everywhere. Um, there's even some virtual clubs that coaches have, um, and that's for like achievement pins and it's for, you know, JOAD specific tournaments. Um, so how would would a virtual club that you've my it's just a, a coach um, has athletes that like a lot of archery coaches are um, spread out across country and they might have an athlete that wants to work with them remotely or it's just like um, they know the that there's a youth athlete who is somewhere remote um, and there might not be a club near them. So they just kind of pool them together okay. and get to be in a, a virtual club. Okay. And would they do like film or how do they interact? Yeah. Yeah, okay. a lot of um, remote coaching is with film and like apps like Coach's Eye okay. um, and Skype interviews or, or meetings regularly or phone calls, things like that. Hmm. 
yeah, it's amazing how that world has evolved now. Um, yeah, I, we do some with uh, like mountain bike skills, and it's it's sort of cool. Like at first, I was like, I don't know, but it's actually <laughs> the progress you see with people, and it is, you know, even from a technique perspective, it's pretty interesting. Um, so it's in the Olympics. Like archery is in the Olympics. Yes, okay. archery is an Olympic sport. Um, it's only the Olympic recurve style, which is um, not a a more traditional style of, of recurve. So it, they have sights. Um, there's lots of, we have fancy equipment, um, that goes on the bow that kind of helps stabilize it. Um, it looks really intense, but it's not actually. Um, and it's, it's, well, for, yeah, for Olympic it's recurve. And then for Paralympics, there is recurve and compound, um, divisions. Okay. And the difference, like what is the main difference there? Like, are they both, like I would call them like a vertical like, are they both vertical versus, like, a crossbow type thing? Yeah, they are. Um, a compound bow is going to have pulleys, um, okay. and um, that allows it to have a, a higher draw weight and so a higher kinetic energy, like stored energy in the bow. Um, but with the cam system, which is kind of like the pulleys, right, there's a let off. So you might pull through 40 or 50 pounds to at some point in the draw cycle so as you're drawing it back. But then it lets off. And so at the end, you're only holding 10 to 20 pounds is really the maximum um, versus a recurve where the further you pull it back, the heavier it gets. Mm. So for me, I'm shooting 38 pounds on my fingers. So that's how much tension I have, right? But my like compound competitor who's pulling 50 pounds will only have like 17 or 18 pounds. Um, and they, they use a release aid, but recurve archery, so the Olympic style um, you have to use a finger release okay. or you have, yeah, fingers on the string. So you have a, like we have what we call a finger tab, um, which is like a, a piece of metal that kind of sticks on your palm and you've got a little spacer between two of your fingers. Um, and then there's leather that protects your fingers okay. from, from the actual string. Okay. All right. Now you, you said, okay, you started hunting with your, your father and now we're talking about sort of Olympics and training and these different ways. Like, where did the transition go? Like, did you just like really like shooting and rather than, you know, hunting, you were shooting trees or like, how do you make that transition to like, or, or was it just you have to practice to go hunting? Like, where did that transition Yeah, happen? well, so when it started, I, my dad got a hunt in Africa, actually, and I was 12. Um, and this was in March and we were going to go in August and it was an archery only place. So I said, I want to do that. That sounds awesome. So I learned how to shoot a bow within like the, from, you know, March to July. Um, so just a few months. So we practiced and my dad knew better than to try coaching me. Um, so he got me a coach. Okay. And so we worked out of a shop that didn't have a club. Um, but then I got uh, drawn for an archery elk tag, I think that year. And then the next year um, in Arizona, that's where I grew up. And so we continued, so I continued practicing, um, but the, the place I was shooting at at first closed. And so then the next place I went to ended up having a youth club. Um, they convinced me, I remember, I think my first ever tournament was a Thanksgiving, like Turkey day tournament. And I was so nervous. Um, but then at the end of it, there's, um, a guy in Arizona called Bob Pian, and he's now an Olympic level coach or Olympic level official. So he's a judge at international events. Right. And he said, oh, if you go to this other tournament this summer, this next summer, you can try out for a world team to go to India. And I was like, that sounds really cool. Let's do that. Um, so I joined the club and then I started going to all the, the national events pretty much from there. Now, is it quite big in other countries? Like is India, like, is it like a, a, a big sport? Like I know with cycling, if you go to Europe, it's like huge um, yeah archery is is pretty big worldwide i think it's more than you would think like we have representation in in most countries um the powerhouses for recurve archery is definitely south korea they've won almost every individual women's medal since the 80s when they first came uh -huh. into archery um they've won multiple team medals their their men's team um, are stacked as well. Like if you beat Korea at any archery event, right, it's, it is considered like very okay. impressive. Um, and, and some, and Asia is Asia in general is actually, I would say like one of the, 
the biggest areas for archery internationally. Mm. China has a good team, Chinese Taipei. Um, yeah. And is it like, do, do you have any idea? Like what, what are the training practices? I imagine, you know, I've seen it, lots of sports skiing and stuff with the Norwegian skiing and stuff. Like everyone sort of guesses at why they are so powerful. Like, is there <laughs> something they do or is it like work ethic or number of people, I guess, all those things? Yeah, it is. That is the question for everyone. And like the the coaches that come out of Korea to other countries are like hot, like hot cakes. Everyone yeah. wants them. Right. Okay. Like, um, so yeah, they do. I know that they start really young, right. Just like, um, like, you know, and like gymnastics, right. They're, they're starting mm-hmm. really young. And for archery, we do know that they don't actually get to have a bow for like the first after the first few years of their training. So they're working on form training with stretch bands, um, which are like, you know, like the, the medical stretch bands, right? right? Just in a, in a loop that you can use to practice the form. They do that forever. And then they go to practice bows and they're still not allowed to actually let an arrow fly um, wow. for quite a while. And they're, they have a, like they have um, in Korea specifically, they have national teams, like kind of like we have sports teams, right? for each area or whatever. Um, so they have this different teams and they're, they're all sponsored by Hyundai. Um, so they have like crazy training facilities, like actual archery stadiums. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. So now that can be distracting, you know, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of listeners, whatever situation they're in, you know, someone shows up with like all the tents and they're like the big person to beat. Um, you know, how do you guys then deal with that yeah. if you go there? Like, I mean, you are the U.S., but, um, you know, in, in the, like, you, you know, is there, like, a mental strategy you deal with for that? Or, like, how do you guys? Yeah. Archery is a, a very mental. I think when you get to a really high level, every sport becomes very mental because you have all the technique skills. Um, it's just performing. Sure. And archery is more so that even at a, at a lower level um, when you're learning the technique, not having mental strength can really impact. And so that's the focus there is having a process that you run, um, throughout the shot cycle. So as you're drawing it back, you're thinking of a certain thing and you're like giving your conscious mind something to do so that when you're ready to execute and you need to not really be thinking about anything distracting, um, you're just kind of used to that. And so when you get into a tournament situation, it's impossible to not have nerves. So it's really just down to running your process and focusing on, um, on know it, like what, you know, right. Lots of visualization is involved. Um, and like just this past weekend we were at the Vegas shoot, which is like the super bowl of archery. There's like 3,800 competitors, um, and like almost 6,000 spectators at this hotel in, in Vegas. It's okay. off the strip. Nice. And we have our like top recurve male. So Olympic recurve male, he's got um, a team bronze and silver medal from the Olympics and an individual bronze. He just shot the first perfect score at that event with a recurve, which is like, like the compound men do it, which the compound is a little bit easier um, in terms of score to shoot a higher score. So that that d- discipline becomes more mental. Right. Um, so the compound men, like up to 20 or 30 of them in a 500 person division will shoot perfect. But for recurve men, like, He's, he did a 300 on the first day and everyone's like, wow, that's the first time someone's shot a 300. So not, at this and that's event. like a bulls, like a bunch of bullseyes. Yeah. Like that's perfect. Right. Not missing the bullseye. So at that, at that distance, I think it's about the size of a quarter um, okay. at 20. So that's an indoor event. So it's 20 yards for that one. Um, and how many arrows about, add up to, to 300? Yeah. So a 10 is the perfect score. Um, so that was 30 arrows. Oh. And he shot a 10 for all of them. Wow. So he, so he they did re- that. They have to remove the arrows if it's only a quarter yeah. size. So you shoot three at a time okay. um, for indoors. So you have about two minutes to shoot your three arrows. Um, and then on each target, normally there's three to four people. So that means there's two targets on the top and two targets on the bottom. So the person, the people at that tournament, the people on the bottom shoot first. And then you alternate and there's two positions on the standing line. So then they shoot their arrows, come off the line. And the next two people come up. Um, so that way there's like multiple, you're cool. kind of, can get more people in. So you wait a little bit and then you go pull your arrows, you score, um, and then do it over again. So he did it 
for the first time ever, anyone shot a, a 300 at that event the first day. And then he did it again the second day. And then he did it again the third day. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Okay. So the sport's getting quite competitive then. It's... Yeah, it's insanely competitive. Like at the at World Cup events, right, there's um, between first and maybe 20th place, there might be a 10-point difference, mm-hmm. maybe. Wow. So it's really comes down each, each arrow while like you can't put emphasis on each arrow as you're shooting it and say like, that's going to make or break your day. You have to like believe that each arrow is independent of all your other arrows. You know, if you have a bad arrow, right. If you ha- can't lose that focus and then right. shoot more bad arrows. So you just have to, to keep going. But at the high levels, any, any issue is, um, definitely can make or yeah. break your day. Yeah, I see what you're saying, because you, you can't think about the whole match when you're shooting, yeah. but at that, when you know that, like, maybe you could get away with one arrow that wasn't good, but, you know, if this person keeps doing that and everyone, you know, oh, it's possible, we're all going to start doing it, right? It's Right. You may as well just and stop so, <laughs> at some point, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it feels like that, but you have to keep going because you got to put down a score. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that, that was, so right now we're in the indoor season. Um, we're about to start the outdoor season, which is the Olympic style. Right. Um, and that consists of, it's a little bit more complicated. It doesn't add up to a perfect like 300 like that one. So for outdoor, you have four minutes to shoot six arrows at the target. Um, and normally, so recurve will shoot 70 meters. Um, so for people who use yards, that's about, I think it's like 78, 79 yards. Um, and then, so you shoot your six arrows and for the 70 meter target, everyone's shooting at the same bullseye. So you have multiple arrows kind of stuck in, in the same target versus like indoor season, you usually have your own target that you're only shooting at. And then you do that six times and that's half the round. So 360 round, and then you do it again. Um, so it's a 720 round. So 72 arrows, perfect score is 720. That hasn't been shot yet with a recurve or a compound, but they're really close. Like Brady, who I was just talking about earlier, he shot um, about like a 7, 701, I think, last year and set wow. 702 and set the world record. So there's like an indoor and an outdoor yeah. season, I guess. So it's sort of mm-hmm. like track, almost track running. Um, right. And it's it's definitely centered on the weather in the northern hemisphere. Okay. And <laughs> so but like the Australia, Olympics yeah. Olympics would only be like indoor? Olympics is at outdoor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you have the wind, you have the rain right. Archery only stops if there's wind where it's unsafe, like it's right. imp- it's impossible <laughs> to keep yeah. like and most of the time it's like the equipment is falling over and breaking and so that, like the targets can't stand up. Like yeah. I've been in a, a tournament in Arizona where we had a microburst and it just took like five targets and picked them up 10 feet off the ground and then dropped them face down with arrows in them. And then they canceled um, or did they just stack them back up? That, yeah, they stacked them back up. That was a, just a quick, quick event, right? It just like gotcha. happened and was done. But then lightning is the only other thing that stops um, sure. an archery event. Okay. Now, I, I like this like two seasons, but you also mentioned something that really piqued my interest was that there's field archery, which is a combination of hiking and archery. Yeah. Um, so field archery, I just shot my first field tournament in the fall and it's, um, it's a, how do I describe it? Yeah. It's it, like hiking and archery. So well, it strikes me as almost like what hunting is like, but then you take, you know, some people would be uncomfortable with the, the, the hunting part of hunting. Um, sure. So this sort of like gives you that you can still go out and, you know, go around and shoot. Yeah. So field is the, is definitely close to that. And 3d is close to that. I'll talk about field first. So, um, I, I'm not entirely sure cause I shot half of a round. Um, but there's, you shoot usually one day is a completely unknown distances. So you're judging, um, there are different size of target faces for each different, right? So the further out you go, the bigger the target faces. Okay. And, and it, it and strikes me as, would it be like, um, like Frisbee golf or, or even golf, I guess, for lack of a better comparison, like are you essentially going to holes? Yes, you're going to holes and it's a, a through course. So, you know, the end of one hole 
or the end of one target is you know close to the beginning of the next one or you might have to hopefully not too close i guess yeah they, i know they you. have to be very strategic in how they place it like a lot of times they'll you'll shoot one direction and then you'll have to kind of like walk back um gotcha. and those are at any kind of angle so if you're at a high angle or a really low angle, so you're shooting up, like you're uncomfortably like positioned, so sure. you're pointing towards the sky or you're pointing down. That seems the ground. really neat. Yeah, that sounds like a cool yeah. discipline. And that so there's the international, like the world archery style. So the world archery is our like our international organization. Um, okay. That's the Olympic, the Olympic member, gotcha. and that style. So there's a known and unknown unknown distances you kind of have a range so you can guess like if you can figure out like oh this is how big this target face is then I know that it's within this range of distances right because this target face isn't used at you know this distance or closer it isn't used that distance or further so, so. then you use different arrows or like weighted uh, arrows? Use the same use the same arrows yeah it's more of just being strategic so on the unknown you can kind of guess because that way right if you're completely off if you have no idea um you would just have a really rough time. So you have to kind of use strategic ways to, to guess, but some field archery, like some field, yeah, some field archery tournament directors can be very kind of, um, smart. And so the, like for a very small target face, like they'll put it on a, a really small bale or on a big one, like they'll kind of change the bale size so that it'll be like an optical illusion and you aren't really sure how big that target is. Sounds neat. Yeah. Okay. And then you also said you were using it, and this is also interesting, you know, I really like the idea of sport, um, you know, and how movement and stuff can help people and in different tough situations and stuff like that. And you said you were, were working with inmates in South Dakota. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I was the, the logistics manager for the National Field Archery Association Foundation, um, which is headquartered out of Yankton, South Dakota. And so it at that facility, it's actually the largest archery facility in the world. They have um, over 50,000 square feet indoor to be shooting. So you can shoot the full outdoor distance inside, um, okay. which is helpful because you can shoot you know, all year round and you can shoot on bad weather days um, where you might not want to be training out there, but, um, but it's, not, you know, it's not unsafe, I guess. Um, and so that facility, um, hosts events, it hosts large tournaments. And then that organization just hosted the tournament, um, the past weekend that I was at the Vegas shoot. And so I was in charge of logistics and set up, um, and tear down plans for those events. So like the, I did the Vegas shoot in 2018. Um, we did their in indoor nationals and, um, a, an indoor distance tournament at the Yankton facility. And so Yankton has a like minimum security um, state prison or state jail, um, in Yankton. So they use inmates as community service labor at the facility. So they're, they come out a lot of the summer they're doing grounds work. Um, but in the winter time they're, and they're in building target stands, you know, working on, um, the facility, they clean and then they build, build things, okay. um, and help me do my packing. Um, there was one inmate in particular, Drake, who'd been there a while. And like, he actually was like a tattoo artist. So he was part of the design process for the world indoor championships that we hosted in, um, in 2018 in Yankton. It was like the week after the Vegas shoot. So that was mm. a, a world championship for the indoor division. Um, and it was the last one they're going to hold. So he was kind of, he did the, the build of the, um, the finals venue which if you look up the pictures for it it was really impressive like the whole back of the facility was covered in these big huge panels and it was really cool okay all right well that sounds awesome yeah. it sounds like a great way yeah. to get people involved and you know working on skills and yeah so like forth. they technically weren't allowed to be shooting but uh, but the inmates did i think it was cool that they they were able to use their skills and then learn a lot of skills and learn about the it's sport yeah. Yeah, and yeah just being part of stuff too right be good um i don't want to go too far you know we got talking initially about sort of your, your training and stuff so i was wondering you know as stuff gets really high end and you know we're, we're pushing the limits like you say there's mental training to it but there's also a lot of physical conditioning um you want like what is you know you can take us through your training but also you know if you're i don't know if your training is typical of an archer or um you know maybe start with your training i guess and then we can go from there but. 
Uh, like what sure. does what does your training look like? Uh, like you just shoot arrows all day, or what does it look like? It at the basic of it, yes, I just shoot arrows all day long okay. is what it comes out to because it it takes a while. So at tournaments, we're shooting. You know, at an outdoor tournament, you're shooting. 72 arrows for score, but about a hundred arrows a day, you know, for including practice. Um, or if you have to let down, that means you're, so that means you draw back and you don't like the way your, your form is, or you don't like the shot or the winds change. So you let down, um, and don't shoot that arrow. So that kind of adds up. So ideally an archer, like to be at a really high performing level, you want to be getting, you know, between 250 to 400 arrows a day. Now, would you, uh, this is somewhat uh, detail, but do you, you must count them. Like, do you have a counter on the yeah. bow? Um, I have a pitch counter on my quiver. I was going to say pitch counter, but I didn't yeah. want to go too analogous yep. to other sports. But you have yep. a pitch There's counter. nothing, nothing fancy besides the pitch counter. Um, okay. That's what works for for a lot of people. Sweet. Um, so yeah, so there's the basics is just doing that, and I try to taper my training. You know, I have heavy days, I have lighter days um, heavier weeks, lighter weeks that kind of cycle through a year to, to, to try and get to a peak perf- strength performance. Um, but at some level, your body wears down con- like consistently because it's a, a repetitive overhead like, one-sided sport. So, yeah. yeah. Asymmetrical. So you have to really, I have, at least for me, everyone is different too. Um, but it's, it's basically just shooting those arrows and figuring out what works for you. Um, so the different ways that I shoot them is, um, you can do like blank bail style, which is, I think probably the equivalent is like being on a trainer. So where I'm inside, our guest bedroom has a target in it and I just stand, you know, 10 feet away from it and I'm working on my form so I can put video up and I can have a, um, video delay is very helpful in archery. So you have like an iPad on a tripod and you put the, the video delay on. And so you shoot the shot and then you watch it and then you shoot it again. So you're kind of looking for things. And if you're trying to get, you know, in a specific position or, or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, alignment is really important in archery so that, that your bones are stacked. Built, sorry. Is that just built into the iPad? You can do like a, the display from the camera is delayed or how do you, or is yeah, that like there's, uh, there's apps. So I use, which one? There's one that's like really simple called video delay, but I found one where you can have actually four different delays. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's called So then you can like watch each one in sequence then, yeah. Yeah, so like if I'm looking, because right, it's hard to to see everything. So if I want to see what my my anchor looks like, so that's when you actually bring your hand to your face. Um, And then if I want to see what my follow through looks like, which is after the shot, right, then I can kind of see both of those things okay. a little bit more in depth That's neat. so you can blank bail um which i definitely did a lot in like the transition period after after the fall um season was over and in the winter because it's easier um but then a lot of then after that it's kind of going to a target and and shooting on you can shoot at distance blank bail um so it's just on a target without a target face you can shoot at a target face and you can score. Um, there's lots of drills you can do and games. So there's a game where you like get certain amount of points for hitting it in the goal. Then you get negative points if you hit it further out. Um, and you give yourself a little time crunch there. So you're, you're trying to perform under pressure. So it's, it's helpful for kind of simulating more of a tournament pressure situation. Uh, what are the games? And there's like scoring games. So there's the, your bow practice, and yeah. then you do other like stuff, which is maybe not as yes. like. Could you take us through that, like the the cross training, I guess you do, or supplementary yeah. training? Mm-hmm. So through last season, I was um, working on um, building up my strength. So I and I just moved to the Lakewood area, so I wasn't really doing a lot of cross training besides running. Um, but for me, running, I've been running my whole life, um, and not not as intense of a capacity, I guess, but I've, I've ran a few marathons. So I, I at least do running, um, which is good for, you know, cardiovascular ability. Like that way at a tournament, you're walking a lot. You're walking almost a mile, I think through an outdoor tournament and that's not including all the other walking. So if you're standing, you're just standing around a lot. Yes. Just standing. So, I mean, we do get a sit, um, in between ends a little bit, but the, the fitter you are there, I think it helps definitely, uh, because you're just less wore out. And it's so mentally tough at a tournament that 
the, the more your body is ready for it. Um, so I do that. And then I did add in weight training in the fall. Um, for me, like a specific just lifting regimen isn't my favorite because it takes a lot of time. And so I, I kind of lean towards more high intensity functional, like CrossFit movements or high intensity intervals. Um, so when I was in South Dakota, I did, like, I worked out with a high intensity coach there, um, in his workouts. And then I found a CrossFit gym. I actually was at the archery range outdoors here in Lakewood this past summer, um, of 2019, and they were like, it was me and I was about to be done. And then like three buff chicks go like walk up to the archery range. And I'm like, what is this? Like that never happens. Right. <laughs> it's usually just like bow hunters out there or something. Um, and they needed help like stringing their bow. And so I started talking to them. And one of them was the owner of a CrossFit gym that was nearby. Oh. And the other one was a coach. Um, so I ended up connecting with them and, and heading to their gym. And they were just trying and, archery or why were they there? Yeah, but, the owner and his wife, um, the, she's part owner or whatever, they're co-owners, I guess. They both, um, bow, he bow hunts, and so they practice archery regularly. Hmm. And then the other two were just wanting, like doing it socially kind of for fun. So they just bought a bow that day, and they wanted to try it out, um, hmm. which is helpful because that I was there, I guess, because I'm a, a reg- like a certified coach. Um, so I was able to help them through hmm. kind of the beginnings of form. It's, so it's interesting. I, I think the cross, one of the CrossFits in our town, um, I think like the wife works at the CrossFit and then I believe that the husband owns um, the archery, th- like a, one of the, like lo- what I would consider our local archery sh- shop, I guess. So that's sort of funny. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I try and do that um, three to four times a week, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, in the earlier this year, I started in a um, a specific like Olympic lifting class so I could learn some of the Super. movements a little better. Yeah. yeah. So we're, I'm actually maxing out tomorrow on the, the clean and jerk and the snatch. Um, okay. so I'm pretty excited about that because it, I think, yeah, I think the more like movements I do besides archery is really helpful that way I'm strong and in different ways so that, um, I don't get imbalances. Cause I've had before when I was working out on my own, I didn't really plan like, right. I'm not a, a sport and conditioning trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up developing an imbalance in my back muscles. So my like trap, which is like right the the turtle shell muscles, I call it, like at yeah. the top of your shoulders. The upper ones were way too dominant and the lower ones um, were a lot weaker. So I had like a winged shoulder blade, right. which then was causing pain in my, um, in my shoulder. But working through and, and that wasn't allowing me to achieve like proper archery form either. Um, so the more I kind of do other things, I think it helps keep mm-hmm. me strong as well. And you would never go like switch. You'd never art, uh, shoot the opposite side. Not so. Not normally. Um, I did. So I started recur- or started archery sixteen years ago, almost like next month. And I shot compound for most of that. Um, so I switched to recurve in twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen, and I continued shooting compound until twenty fifteen because I was at college and they had recruited me to shoot compound, and I needed to shoot compound for them. Okay. Um, so I switched from right-handed compound to left-handed recurve, um, which is really not common. And I'm glad I did it, but it was a very tough process and like building the new muscles on the other side. Yeah. And they like a lot of archery, um, the common, the common knowledge, I guess, is that you go with your eye dominance, right? So whether or not your left or right eye is the most dominant. Um, but my, like, even when I was a kid, my eyes are pretty equally dominant. So all of the tests didn't work. So when I was picking up a bow, my dad was like, well, we'll just get you a right-handed bow because that'll be easier to get and it'll be easier to sell. And I was like, okay, sure. But for recurve, um, our national head coach prefers that people go with their dominant hand. Um, So you kind of have that dexterity and ability to like connect with, right? So that you're releasing with the the hand that you write with or you do most of your activities with. So I'm left-handed. So then I thought that I would switch to left-handed archery. And I figured that having a fresh shoulder might be helpful. Yeah. Uh, that might have extended your career. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was thinking about that. Um, it wasn't fun at first, but then, and also, um, Korean archers are actually never left-handed. They only shoot right-handed. Okay. So then I was, so when you're left-handed, you're, and you're, most of the archers are right-handed, right? So then you end up facing somebody. Um, and if you're used to facing somebody all of the time, 
it's not, you know, it's not anything different. But if you're a a person not used to facing somebody all the time, you can kind of get psyched out because I can like right. stare at them in the face while they're shooting. Um, when with like normally if they're a right-handed archer, you know, they're just looking at someone's back on the line. Um, so there was like a mental strategy piece there as well. That's that I awesome. Wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. Now I wonder, this is more of a coaching perspective. I don't know that it would necessarily be athletic, but in cycling, it's not nearly as pronounced, but you have sort of like your, your feet, you know, are one way or the other when you're in what they call like ready position, right? For mountain biking, it's super important. Um, and most people sort of pick one. Uh, but I found it was like really learning the, the switch foot, so to speak, almost like was like you had to like revisit how the skill worked and how it was. And I found that like it gave me like another taste to look back and be like, okay, this is what it's like when you don't quite get it. Um, so I don't know. Did you find that like from a coaching perspective that it's sort of like you had to revisit like how you're holding the bow or how you're pulling back? Yeah. Yeah. It, I wasn't, I was still in college when I switched. So I started coaching after that. Um, but when I, but it was, it is very helpful because you can, I can do the movements on both sides. So if I need to mirror for an archer, like if I'm working with someone and I, I can stand in front of them and I can do the proper form, you know, on either side. Um, so after, yeah, after I graduated college, I went and I was a graduate assistant coach at a small school in Kentucky and they had a varsity archery program. Okay. And so I was the assistant coach there for a couple of years and I was the only one who really knew recurve archery at all. So I had just started the year before and I went in and I had to learn, like I had to make sure I knew everything. I was calling my friends, you know, every single day, like, Hey, this is broken on somebody's bow. How do I fix it? Or what do I do? And like had a super steep learning curve. Um, but once I got into it, then I really like how, and coaching while shooting, I found was really helpful because I would, be working with someone on something. And then that day in my own practice, then later I'd be like, Oh wow, I should probably pay attention to that. Or, you know, I hadn't thought about this in my shop for a while. So what am I doing here? And yeah, I think that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It takes you out of yourself a little bit too. I think when you're going to the elite stuff, right? Like I think if you're, you value the coaching at least, I think there's a lot of people who don't and just sort of use it to get money. But if you enjoy coaching, uh, it gives you something else to apply your your mind space to, right? I found it really rewarding, especially when, uh, when kids were successful, you know, we won a few national championships that year. Um, kids that I coached, you know, meddled and we're going into, you know, team matches. So there is, is team rounds in archery. We can talk about that next. Um, but I haven't been coaching since I left South Dakota just because I wanted to focus more on my training. For the Olympics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the time demand for your own, you know, daily shooting, like if I'm averaging 1200 to 1400 arrows a week, probably right now, and then I'll build up to 2000 as my max. Right. Um, and shooting like 300 arrows in a day takes at least five hours, right? If I'm blank bailing or on a target. Um, and that's, you know, how many days a week am I doing that? Some days I can get, you know, get done in a couple hours, but it takes a lot of time. Um, sure. So I sure. try and keep my cross training like to a limit and then just making sure that I'm not doing too many things. So coaching is, is on the back burner for right now. Right. You've done it though. And you can always go back. Yeah. Um, so then where are you at then with the Olympics? Like, is that still possible or no? 2020 Olympics aren't possible. Um, the trials process began last summer. Cause it's, so a, there were it's two... a winter sport then or no? It's a summer. Summer. Yeah. I should know this. Yeah. My sports summer, summer games <laughs> are happening in Tokyo this year. Um, and so we, we started our trials process in 2019 with, um, two open tournaments. And if you placed in a cert, if you placed in the top 16, you got kind of like ranking points. Um, and so you had to, so then after the end of those two events, the highest people, this highest 16 and ranking points then made it to the next stage. Um, so they got to shoot some rounds there and then they're competing again in a couple months in Arizona or no, in Chula Vista actually to, um, to then cut to eight and then they'll cut to four in May and then they'll have the team picked. Um, so I was, they didn't actually end up ranking everyone after that, um, to see like, so you could say like I was whatever place in the trials, but based on my placing at each event, I was probably about 25th, um, and they took 16. So I was the closest I'd ever been in the, in the year I took to really work full time. Um, I improved like 
over a hundred points in my outdoor scores, wow. which is immense. Um, and I was, you know, I was usually at like the middle to bottom of the pack and I brought myself up to the middle to the, you know, top third of the pack, which was really, okay. really awesome. So beyond so, Olympics then like what, what is next? Yeah, there's, um, this year there's actually the field championships, um, are in South Dakota at the facility I used to work at. Okay. So I'm going to begin learning how to shoot field. Um, and hopefully I can make that, that world championship team. And so the trials for that would be in, I think they're in July, early July. And then the event is in, um, late September. You seem, you seem very positive about it. I imagine it was tough though, um, to like, to move on. I don't know if you've moved on. I don't want to say that, but you know, it's, it's crushing. I know a lot of people who listen and stuff, you know, whether they're masters, age groupers or kids or, you know, pursuing a lead in another sport, it's, you know, it's hard. How did, how did you take the, that event? You seem to be positive, like you've improved a lot, but. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely like a, it was more of a, once I was done and I had right, or season ended in late September and I took three weeks off. And after that, I was like, wow, we have four more years. Like I've got to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to the Paris Olympics. Um, but I, it's just trying to, you know, you have to set goals and you, everyone has their big, you know, life goals, your five, 10 year goals. Um, and it's just looking at those one month goals, the next year goals that kind of kept me going. But I knew I was just out and I was really happy for my friends that made it. Uh, but I have to keep building myself because I think like women's archery um, in the U.S. can definitely grow. Like as of right now, right, you have to earn your spots at the Olympics, um, which is a complicated process and every sport is different. But if we're if we're not performing well internationally um, as a team, so our World Cup team or the World Championship team, which was um, so the World Outdoor Championships were last summer, then we won't earn spots for the Olympics. So we haven't had a full team of three archers, um, female archers, the Olympics since before 2008, I think. So currently we have one spot for women. So I knew that it was going to be tough already, right? Like, yeah, I might make the top 16, but you have to be on top to earn that one spot. Um, and there's a last chance qualifier this summer. So the, so we'll pick our top three in May. Um, but they won't actually know if all of them are going to the Olympics yet. So they will be the ones sent to that last chance qualifier and they'll basically have to earn their spots to go to the Olympics. Like they'll, they'll be the ones, um, shooting the matches. Um, so I knew that it was tough and that even though I didn't make it right, I knew it was going to be a long shot anyway, but it would have been really awesome to be at least part of the process. Like I wanted to go through a trials, yeah. um, just to have the experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? And it's sometimes when you set those big goals and know, you know, only so many people can go, you know, and it's a it's a stretch. Sometimes I find it useful. It's like, you know, you've gotten a lot better now, and so you can go forward with those those skills and those experiences, you know, and do lots of cool stuff, you know, wherever that is, and it could be for this next team, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So the the field is is less popular. Um, it's becoming more popular because people are re- realizing it's a lot of fun, I think. Um, and so, so learning that will be really helpful trying for those trials, um, which I probably have a pretty good chance if I get, if I get the specific training down, right. Like learning how to judge distance and learning how to shoot angles. Um, but then I also want to shoot the national circuit and then try for the team this year. So I've been like, I've been top 20 ranking. And so team is top eight. So that's a pretty big goal for this year, um, okay. for this season. And the way that works is you shoot at, there are five national events. Um, so including our nationals. So then there's four other events throughout the year that are kind of the, the USAT circuit, um, as we call it. And you go to, if you, you can go to, you have to go to nationals, um, and then three others. So you can not go to one event and still make the team. Um, but you can go to all, all of them and then you're able to drop your worst performance um, and you can drop nationals performance, but if you don't show up for nationals, then you get like negative 3000 points. And so you're like dropped to the bottom of the list. Okay. Um, so it's just how you rank, um, is, is about 40% of that. How you qualify in eliminations is about 40% of that. And then since eliminations are very different, right? Like you could be shooting against someone and shoot your best score ever in this head to head match. Um, but then they still take you out. 
and then someone could be shooting a really poor score and be taken out in the same round. Um, they also use like an arrow average. So it's just like pr- rewards you for shooting well throughout the event. Okay. Um, even if you don't win. Okay. So we've gotten a good feel for different events and a bit of the training, um, you know, the specificity of, of just simply shooting. I liked that. Yeah. Um, some of these different events, I really like those. I'm wondering now if someone has like zero exposure, you know, they haven't been taken hunting, um, you know, where would you recommend they look? You certainly gave us a bunch of links here as far, as far as the world archery.org. Is there a place that like, aside from Googling, I guess, archery in my town, yeah. um, where, where do you think people can find the sport or where would you recommend? Is there like social media stuff they could look up or? Um, yeah. So our national governing body is, is USA archery. Um, so that's, they have a team USA website and it's, it's always good to look there. Um, USA archery has, you know, resources on, you can find a coach. Um, you can find, you can find clubs nearby you, um, or they have, you know, some, some articles and they do like write the recaps of the big events. Um, world archery is our international organization. Um, and they have lots of informational videos. Um, and then there's, there is one that's archery 360, which is um, is kind of ran by the Archery Trade Association. And Archery 360 does a lot of um, beginner stuff and tutorials, and they have people that work for them um, generally know what they're talking about with with that kind of stuff. Um, and they actually have, like, a an archery shop location finder. Like, you go to their website, and it is, like, a banner on the screen. Like, find it looks like you're in, like, Lakewood, Colorado. Where, you know, where is a archery shop near you? Um so those are good resources. Okay. And, and you can always find videos too. Like World Archery has a really, um, really good YouTube website, uh, okay. YouTube page, whatever. Okay. And then if people wanted to follow along with your adventures, do you do uh, some social media stuff or website or what do you got? Yeah. Um, I am on Instagram mostly for my archery stuff. It's at uh, Mac on target. So Mac underscore on underscore target. M-A-C-K. Yeah, M-A-C-K. Okay. Yep, that's where I am. Awesome handle. Awesome. Well, I uh, don't have anything else, really. Um, I think that's a great sort of intro to archery. And again, I thought you were just like sounding like an awesome person doing lots of, you know, consummate athlete style training and stuff. So I um, thought we'd have you on on the show and I appreciate your time. Yeah, it was, it was really great being on. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, You can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week... Uh, Do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.